I love this place. I love it. So one of the main reasons I was so excited about moving to Atlanta was that my mom's sister, Debbie, and her children lived there. And so I was going to be able to experience having my cousins in high school while I was a young adult. And my cousin, Nicole, is one of the most amazing people. She is this fabulous athlete. So while we were there, I was able to go watch her dominate um, on the fields at Grady High School, and she played for a club called Top Hat Soccer. It's this prestigious soccer club in Georgia. She went on to UVA, and she played at the club level there. And then after college, she decided she would continue her athleticism, and so she did triathlons and bike races where she biked for a long time, and then these things that she would willingly put herself into called mud races, And then she decided she would do the marathons. And she ran them, and she always ran them each time faster. Even as she aged, she got quicker. And so I had lunch with her before I moved here, and she told me that she was planning her next big event, and she was going to run Boston Marathon. But her goal was to run it in under three hours. Now, She already was faster than anybody besides like Olympic runners that I know. And so how how are you going to do this? I asked her. And she said, well, I've started doing speed work at the track. I have joined a new running group with everybody in that group. They're faster than me so that I'm kind of forced to run faster. But, you know, the most interesting thing I've realized is that in order to be a faster runner, I can't just run more and run faster. I've had to take up resistance training. And so she began to really get into lifting weights. And here is a picture of her with a time of two two hours and 57 minutes after the race. That's Nicole. The American Journal of Sports Medicine tells us that The only way to strengthen a muscle is to put some resistance to it. In fact, if you do the same workout over and over, week after week, as we age, you actually will get weaker. That you actually have to increase the amount of resistance that is pushing against a muscle because muscles are only strengthened by use. So for the, the children that started last week or this week in school, you're going to be experiencing some, some muscle tenderness in, in these things called hands because you haven't picked up a pen or a pencil in months. And actually, I forgot to ask my children this, but you still do have to hold pens and pencils in school, right? Because as I reflect, I'm like, this type of thing, there's still a lot of that going on over the summer. Um, but th- this muscle is going to be a little sore this week. So we know that if you want to increase the strength of a muscle, you have to use it. Well, y'all, relationships are the same way. If you do not give focused attention towards a relationship through time, it will be difficult to maintain those strong bonds. And this is especially true in our relationship with God. If we are doing the same things rotely, routinely, over and over It's going to be difficult for our relationship with God to be strengthened. And so today, we're going to see what does it look like as followers of Jesus to practice 
resistance training. During the month of August, we have been doing a little preseason of our own. We've been using Paul's letter to the church in Philippi as our guide. The first week we talked about the first element in doing this faith thing is being a team. And that means that the individual members of the team are all individually working on their relationship with Jesus. They are digging in to being rooted in their faith, but that we are doing this together. We are striving side by side towards this common goal of letting the love of God overflow into those spaces that we find ourselves. The second element of our preseason is having the right attitude. And what we learned is that that's an attitude modeled after Christ, which was an attitude of humility. And humility, in Paul tells us, is to regard others as better than yourself. And that doesn't mean that you regard yourself as less than, but you regard yourself as a valued creation of God, and so you are going to value everyone else as an equal creation of God. And today, we're going to move on to the third chapter, and we're going to see how Paul is encouraging us to press on, to strain forward, and to practice resistance training. Before we read that scripture, let us first look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious and holy God, Our minds are full. Our hearts are anxious. Our bodies are restless. Our spirits are nervous. There is so much trying to pull our attention away from this moment when we are before you as our audience of one. Holy God, calm our anxious hearts. Help us to be at peace before you. Help us to hear your word, these ancient words, and may they bring us life and encouragement and challenge and conviction, whatever it is that your Holy Spirit that is within each of us wants to give to us this day. To you be all the glory in Christ's name, amen. We'll be reading 10 to 16 in Paul's letter. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In a gym setting, in a workout facility, with a personal trainer, there are very important aspects to doing resistance training in the correct way. You need to have a goal in mind. You need to make sure that you use good form or you will get injured. And you need to make sure that you're using enough resistance or enough weight against you, otherwise the muscle will not grow stronger. The most effective fitness routines usually have a goal 
So, you know, if it's just I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going to try to work out three days this week, and that's my goal. Or I want to make a certain time in my half marathon. You know, you set these goals up, and a lot of us are driven this way. And it is so true also with our faith. In the very first chapter of this book, Paul tells the Philippians what he wants their goal to be. He says, this is my goal for you. My goal is that your love, the love of God, that it would overflow more and more. And I said, it's almost like he says he wants us to literally kind of spill Jesus onto people. But in this chapter, in chapter three, Paul tells us what his goal is. It's pretty simple. He says, I want to know Christ. When I think about the ways that I want to know Christ, I think of things like, I want to know Christ and like the compassion of Christ, the way Christ cared for those that lived on the margins, the way that I imagine Jesus, he probably was such a good listener, so patient. Those are the ways I think about knowing Christ, but not Paul. Brother Paul, he says, he wants to be like Christ. He wants to share in the suffering and death. He says that he actually wants to know what it's like to be resurrected What in the world is he talking about? That's the last thing that I'm going to be praying. I want to share in your suffering, Lord Jesus. I hope to die like you. I don't want to die like Christ died. So what is Paul getting at here? I think what Paul is getting at is this. He understands so completely completely where he has come from. He understands the person who he was that he is so grateful He wants to understand who is this Christ that would take me, this messed up, confused, broken self, and say, you are mine. I want to know that Christ. I want to know everything about that Christ. But the word that's used there for know, it's not the word that means, like, I want to learn how to bake a cake. So I'm going to look at a recipe, I'm going to follow the recipe, and then I will have accomplished it. That word in Greek is gnosko. It means head knowledge. It means I know it. And once I know it, I've accomplished it. It's like moving grades. It's getting algebra. That is not this word here. The word that Paul uses here is lambano. And lambano, it means to know something. In other words, to have a relationship with something. It means to receive something into one's life. It's to know something as if it becomes your own. And listen to the word picture that I can give you to, to help understand this. When Jesus is with his disciples around the table and he's instituting the Lord's Supper and he takes the piece of bread and he gives thanks and then he breaks it and he says, take, eat. This is my body for you. That word take, that's the same word here. So for Paul to say, I want to know Christ, he says, I want to take this Christ and I want it to be received into every aspect of my life. Not just the aspects that are, are like churchy. So, you know, you come in here on a Sunday morning. I come in here on a Sunday morning. I am all about Jesus. I mean, we're in church. You know, maybe, you know, prayer time before a meal. Church, that's good. I'm going to know Christ in that. It's so convicting to me. I think, do I want to know Christ in my parenting or am I going to kind of leave that up to Kyle Bender to do for me? Do I want to know Christ in my marriage? No, I'm going to wait till I have more time when my kids are out of the house. 
Do I want to know Christ in, in the way that I set up my priorities? No, because then how can you be successful in this culture? Paul says, I want to know Christ. And the reason is because Christ knows me. It's the same word. Later down, down in the scripture, when Paul says it is Jesus Christ who knows me, Jesus literally knows every aspect of who we are, the complete mess, and says, you're mine. The project that you are, mine. The disappointed life that you think you have, mine. You are mine. I know you completely. And guess what? I still love you just like that. That is the reason that, that Paul wants to know Christ is because he knows where he has come from, how much he used to persecute the church, the, the deplorable state that he used to be in, and Christ says, I know you, you are mine. The scripture is so challenging to us. So if the goal is to know Christ, how are we supposed to use good form? Because if you know, if you're working on legs in the gym, and if you don't use good form, you hurt your knees. You hurt your back. And Paul knows this. He knows that the tendency, especially for us, 21st century Christians, we're given a task, we're gonna go at it. We're gonna go at it hard. And he says, listen, back in verses, verse 13, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I strain towards what is ahead. Our experiences from the past, they offer us this pivot point. Things happen to us, good things, bad things, difficult things, troubling things, and then we have this pivot point where we decide, is this going to hinder my present or is this going to enhance my present? And yet there's this tendency that we end up letting it hinder us. Imagine Paul writing this. Think about his past. We know at the point that he is writing this, he is on house arrest in Rome. He has been betrayed, spit upon by his beloved community. He has been flogged. He has been beaten. He has been imprisoned. How easy would it have been for each of those pivot points to say, you know what? I'm not going to press on. I'm not going to do this anymore. Does your past ever inhibit your present? Because I know it does for me. I remember years ago having a, a betrayal by a friend and feeling like trust had been broken. And there, every fiber of my being said, you know what, Emily? Don't trust any of them. I remember when I made a political opinion out loud and I was ridiculed for it and I thought, you know what, Emily? Keep it all to yourself. Paul says, no, do not let the past hinder. Forget what is behind. Do not let it hinder you. Let it shape you. Focus on the present. Part of doing this faith thing in a healthy way means that we must not let it hinder our present and the word that he uses is he says we need to strain forward. Literally stretch forth towards the goal. This is the image. Do y'all remember this thing, presidential fitness? Does this cause anxiety in anybody? <laughs> because I love this. I love this because the guy, he's, bare, he's not even at his toes. And I know for some people, it's, you know, flexibility is an inherited thing. It's not like something you can, you get, you can work on it, but it's just, and he is just straining forward. So for those of you young folks who don't have this anymore, because you probably have something that's like engineered with computers, you, you reach and you're trying to push this little 
lever as far as, and you're measured, like you get, you got a letter from the president if you did well. I mean, you wanted to do well. I wanted my, my letter from Ronald Reagan. And, and you're pushing and you're straining for it. But the reason I give you this image, this is what Paul's telling us to do. This is resistance training. You are going forward. Do not let the past inhibit you. Stretch forth, stretching forth to, towards this goal of knowing Christ. And then he says it again in verse 14. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. We literally, there it says, to run swiftly. There's no accident that in this passage, he tells us about four times we need to stretch out, we need to press on, we need to strain forward. Resistance is a part of doing this faith thing. Sometimes the resistance is kind of self-inflicted. So we decide that we want to grow, and we know that growth takes place when the muscle has to work a little bit harder. And so you decide, maybe during the season of Lent you've done this, you decide, you know what, I'm going to take up a new spiritual practice, and I'm going to get up 10 minutes early, and I'm going to have 10 minutes of meditation. And so there's a little bit of resistance to that, right? The alarm clock goes off, you don't want to do it, things come up. Or maybe you decide, you know what, I'm going to start serving an extra day a week. And there's going to be resistance because there's going to be things that seem more important. But I want you to know that there is another resistance that is a natural fact of being a follower of Jesus. Because the enemy of God does not want us to know Christ. And so if you make a decision to set your family as a priority over your work priorities, you will experience resistance. If you decide to set up some boundaries for your children, you will experience resistance. If you decide you are going to spend less, stop consuming and give away more, you will experience resistance. It is tough work, but it is only in that rub that we are strengthened in our relationship with God. What I want you to be encouraged about is that this, again, is not an individual sport. We are not doing this resistance training just by ourselves. You are part of a community here, striving side by side. We want to press on to know Christ, and so we are going to be praying for one another. I say this because I hope that you are telling people what you need prayer for in this space. I hope that you are asking other people, how can I be praying for you this week? I want to encourage you to do that for your children this week before they go back to school or for those at Lake Travis that you will continue. We are going to be a community that serves together. I hope that this fall you are going to find a new way to serve in this place and in our city. We are going to strive side by side in this game of life. Now this is the deal. You could do nothing. This isn't just about doing. There is one ultimate truth here, y'all, is that we are so loved by, by God that nothing in all of creation, nothing in the past, nothing in the present, not what we do or don't do will ever separate you from the love of God. So know that that is the truth. So if you leave here and nothing changes, you are loved. Absolutely. But this is a relationship thing we are doing here. God wants us to know him. I love Paul's honesty. In verse 13, he says, the goal is not something he's going to act like he has achieved. It's not just another thing that we can check off and say, oop, I did it. I now know Christ. I know it all. 
The finite can never fully know the infinite. But that does not mean that we don't stop trying. Just as much as you or I change on any given day, so too will our relationship with God grow and change. We cannot give up. This relationship with God thing is the heartbeat of who each of us are as humans. And being part of this community, whether you chose it or not, this is where God has us. And we have been called to practice this resistance, to press on, to stretch forth, knowing Christ in all that we do. God so wants us to press on, to stretch out towards our loving God. May it be so in my life and in yours. I'm gonna invite the band up and they're gonna play some music before we sing together. And I just want you to use this time. Use this time to reflect on how you might press on in your faith.